uh, Acts 2, 36 to uh, 47. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. His many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day, the fellowship of the believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. How you start the day is vital. I wonder if you are someone who demands an intravenous caffeine injection for it not to be a bad day for you or for anybody else. I mean, how you begin the day is really important. Uh, maybe some, th- some pictures up on the screen here. I mean, how you make the connection with the golf ball, as I did with two sons uh, this week on the driving range. Um, how you connect with the golf ball, that moment of impact is vital. The launch trajectory of the ball or of a rocket taking off, whether it be NASA. You know, the, the, how you begin... The direction of travel, literally, whether you're one degree off, really matters when you're traveling vast distances. This is your captain speaking. When you take off in a jet or a helicopter or an airplane, the increasing the size, you know, the greater the size, I think the more significant it is. But whoever's driving, piloting that one, I would think someone needs to have words with the, the Airbus captain, I think. They are literally... Forget a barrel roll, that's, uh, I would say they're going over the top, but that's a maverick uh, reference. How you begin the day, how you begin a journey, how you uh, begin a golf shot or swing is really important. Because as we thought with the children, foundations really, really matter. In our passage here, we've got the birth of the church. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, I will do what I say. My Father will raise me up. He will ascend me. He will raise me up to the heaven and I'll be seated at the right hand of my Father in glory where I'll rule and reign forever. Now, where is Jesus? Well, in heaven there is a man and his name is Jesus and he bears the wounds of the cross where he paid for the sins of the world. But in chapter 2, Jesus said in chapter 1, you need to wait because I will send the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He will indwell every human believer's heart. And you will know my power and joy and an intimacy that's impossible to know unless you have him in your heart. Peter stands up 
on the day of Pentecost, verse 14 of chapter 2, and preaches a long sermon that applies the truth of the gospel from the Old Testament to Jewish hearers and says it all points to Jesus. Every sentence whispers his name. And at the end of the sermon, verse 37 of chapter 2, the people are cut to the heart. Jesus is both Lord and Christ, verse 36. Verse 37, how do people respond to the message of Pentecost and of Peter? They are cut to the heart. And so, verse 38, we read these words of chapter 2. Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptised. You who are far off, God by his Spirit and the strength of his right arm will draw you in. The uh, dividing wall of hostility has been removed. The payment needed for your sin has been paid once and for all. So come on in from every tribe, tongue and nation. 3,000 people. Verse 41. About that, who was counting? Well, about 3,000, says Luke, who was very accurate. He was counting. 3,000 were added to their number in one day. That's what it means to be in a church. You receive the actual lifeblood of God into your heart. It's not a religious club to join. It's not something to do on a Sunday because you like singing. Becoming a Christian, being part of a local gathering of believers, is having a blood transfusion. But it's the very lifeblood of God flowing through your veins through a new heart, the heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Problem of Pain. In it he's saying, be careful what you ask for. Be careful when you ask the living God into your life. Then he says this, in awful and surprising truth, we are objects of his love. You ask for a loving God, you have one. The great spirit, God, you invoked his present. But be careful. He is not a senile benevolence that drowsily oh, wishes you to be happy in your own way. But he is the consuming fire himself. The love that made the worlds persistent as the artist's love for his work. The very life blood of God flowing through your veins when you become a Christian. That happened to 3,000 new believers. He went through no courses. He went through no hope explored or Christianity explored. He didn't know what it meant to be a member of the church. By God's grace, verse 41, 3,000 were added in. As Almighty God came as the very life blood into stony hearts and they were transformed. And what happened next? Verse 42 to 47 tells us what happens next. When individuals get this new heart, this new lifeblood, when they come together, they form a church. When they take hold of this truth in both hands, it transforms them from the inside out. They all have this wonderful individual access into God's presence. But when they come together corporately, what does it look like? This is what it looks like. Five things I want you to keep in mind with the first church. Teaching, community, social compassion, evangelism and worship. Here we go. Teaching. These are five priorities of the first church and of every church since. Verse 42. They were devoted 
at liftoff, at impact, as they built on sand or on rock, they chose rock. They were devoted, verse 42, to the apostles' teaching, first of all. At verse 42, it begins actually with and, and they, or so they. In other words, do not start reading verse 42 and verse 42. It's a continuation, it's a response to what happened on the day of Pentecost when God sent his spirit and Peter explained the truth of the gospel from the Old Testament. It all points to Jesus. They were cut to the heart. What do we do? Repent, be baptised. 3,000 are added. What did they do? And so. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Why? Because they'd been cut to the heart. That's why they did it. They weren't thinking, what do we do? just read a book by Mark Deaver called Nine Marks. I just read Calvin's Institutes. I just read... No, the Holy Spirit prompted them to have a deep conviction to build the church on the apostolic gospel. You killed him, God raised him. Verse 22 of Acts 2. Verse 36 of Acts 2. Jesus is both Lord and Christ. That's the gospel. He was attested to you by miracles but you killed him, but God raised him, and now he's at his right hand. That's the gospel. They were cut to the heart, verse 37, and they wanted to know more about who and what cut them. Now, you've got two pictures on the screen. Some people literally have been through surgery recently, or it will happen soon. So this may be <laughs> insensitive. I do apologise. But I was thinking about rubber bands and scalpels this week. Now, if you're going to cut yourself, it would not be with a rubber band. Okay, they are to be plinged at people. Don't do this at home. Do it in Rooted. Uh, with at Dave, not Emily or Becky. Pling people with elastic bands. But if you're going to cut yourself, it would not be with an elastic band right? Because they're pliable, they're flexible, they're stretchy. They are for plinging at people and for putting envelopes and things together and books. One or more, put an elastic band around it so you know where it is. But if you're going to cut yourself, if you need to make an incision, I mean just imagine if you go in for a bit of day surgery, you've got local anaesthetic on your side and they bring out an elastic band to make an incision. You'd say, what's gone on? They bring out a scalpel, you know they mean business. Because in the right hands, it can be done, used for great good, to take, take away cells that are doing bad things, to get out a scalpel, and it is unyielding to the skin that's before it. You take out a rubber band, and it's pliable and stretchy, it cuts nothing. You go out and you do some gardening in your garden yesterday, and you get a, a splinter in your hand, because your skin has come up against something unyielding. And so your skin has yielded to it. Here we have people who were cut to the heart on the day of Pentecost. They had to yield to something that was firmer, that was sharper, like a double-edged sword, to all their feelings, to all their preconceptions, to the way they looked at the world. And they decided to build their life upon the rock and the person of Jesus Christ. In other words, truth is sharp. And it was the truth of the gospel that cut them to the heart. And so, so they responded to the truth. What must we do to be saved? Repent, be baptised. They wanted to know more, so they devoted themselves to this hard truth. 
Now either they yield in their hearts to the truth, either it continues to cut them and humble them and they build their life upon it, or it's pliable and they can take whatever piece they want. In the gospel there is a body of truth, the teaching of the apostles and the prophets. It's a deposit. It's not just guidance for every area of our life that we can pick and choose. It is a transcendent truth for all time, for all people, for all churches, for all individuals. And it's about the person of Jesus Christ. And either we yield to it, we come under its authority like a scalpel, or it's pliable and we can choose what we like. And it's not the apostolic gospel if it's pliable. It's a truth that we have to yield to. It's harder than us. It's true whether you feel it to be true or not. It's true whether I like it to be true or not. It's true whether it's culturally convenient that it's right or wrong or true or false. It's still true whether our culture says it is or not. It is a scalpel. The Bible is not a rubber band. It's true whether you perceive it to be true or not. It's true whether you submit to it as truth or not. It's the apostolic gospel. And verse 42, here come 3,000 people and they devote themselves to the apostolic teaching of the gospel. What cut me? The gospel did. What does devoted mean? Well, it means they dug into it. They got their spades out, so to speak. They spent time in it. They reflected upon it. They steeped themselves in the truth of the Bible. They asked the apostles more questions. Tell me more about what happened. I want to understand it and grasp it more. They meditated on it. They wrestled with it, bits that were hard that they didn't like, and so on. How do I get this truth into my life? What does this truth mean? This means I've got to change this part of my life. That's what happens when you look at the history of the church and God is really present by his spirit. There is always a deep appetite for the truth of the Bible. doesn't matter your tribe, tongue or creed. There's always a hunger for the Bible when the Holy Spirit turns up, so to speak. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Why didn't I ever see that before? I've read that passage a hundred times. Because now God comes real. The Holy Spirit turns up in your quiet time when you're reading the Bible, you're listening to it on Audible, whether you're doing it in your car, in your lunch break, and God appears to you as the Holy Spirit opens up his word and brings truth into your heart. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The genuine first hallmark of the church. Secondly, community, verse 44. Teaching, community, verse 44. They had everything in common. They didn't claim that anything was their own. It all belonged to everybody. Now this is talking about money, but it's more than money. This is talking about economic, uh, kind of pooling your resources and giving out according to need, but it's more than that. It is money, but it's not just money. Lots of other resources that we have, and it's a devotion to one another rather than self. It's a, an open hand, not a closed fist. It's an open door, not a, a private castle with a moat that no one can come into. First of all, community is what happens in your heart. I mean, communism is not community. Communism, everybody shared because you had to, but it wasn't community. This is not Christian communism. This is community, inspired by the gospel. All that God has given to me, I now share with you. 
all these resources. I'm just a delivery person for blessing. I don't just want to share my money with you. I don't just want to give it away in generous ways. I don't just want to give my time so that Saturday is kind of ring-fenced or is it not? I want to give everything away with the resources that I have at the stage of life that I'm at. I want to share happiness with you. I want to share tears with you. I want to share my mistakes with you. I want to share my sorrows with you. That's what a community looks like, indwelt by the Spirit of God, built on the apostolic gospel. I mean, do you really think there was a seminar stream on hospitality? I don't think there was. It just happened organically because the Spirit of God is at work. And when he's at work explaining the gospel, you think, if God has given everything to me, then there's nothing he cannot ask of me. I'm going to open my door, I'm going to open my diary, I'm going to open my bank account, and so on. The only way you can have real community is through the indwelling presence and power of God in a heart. You can get together for dominoes or cycling or chess or whatever it is that you're interested in. But true community happens only around the gospel. You have a shared experience with a friend. We went somewhere together. You can have a shared experience with the whole nation. We banged pots on our front doorstep for a while. Remember doing that? Then you look around to see who was doing it and who wasn't. Because we're like that. We had a shared experience as a nation of living through a pandemic, of a world. That wasn't really community, though, was it? To the same degree that we're talking about here in verse 44. The relationship two Christians can have, regardless of their background, is absolutely unique. It crosses gender, social status, age, stage of life. You're a Christian first, rather than skin colour. You're a Christian first, rather than wealthy or poor. You're always a Christian first. True community, based on the apostolic gospel. Open-handedness, open-dooredness, open-heartedness. And then that leads to social compassion as well, verse 45. There's unbelievable generosity. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as they had need. If you're a moral person, if you think that this is the way I roll, this is the way I operate, that God will be pleased with me because I'm not as bad as them. God will be pleased with me because I do this and go to that place and don't go to that place. Then you think, well, I've pulled myself up by what I've done. God should be impressed by my record. And therefore, that's how the world works. That's how I work, so that's the grid I look at the world. And so if someone is lazy and lowly, that's because they've not worked hard like I have. You can look at people like that. You can become superior if you're a moral person. But one of the things the gospel does is it humbles you. Oh, how the grace of God amazes me. I can't look down on anybody. I'm going to look at everybody in the eye. And if there's a way in which I can help someone who doesn't have a voice, someone who does have need, someone who's been marginalised, someone who's had a very difficult start to life, I want to help them because of the gospel, because God reached down and rescued me. I don't look down on anybody. I don't look through anyone to the next conversation. I want to look at the person in front of me who bears the image of God, and I want to help with all the resources that I have. It's radical generosity. It's other-centeredness. And you can do that in so many different ways. Then there's evangelism. That's number four. Look at verse 47. They enjoyed the favour of all the people. 
and they grew in number every day. Now, if you're consistent in the Christian faith, you will always stick out. Uh, it's far too late in life. I got uh, prescription spectacles. Driving was getting even worse than it was or is. But then I got some sunglasses as well, and they had the polarizing lens, and you can kind of see through water. It's a bit like a superpower because uh, the sunlight is no longer kind of makes you uh, can't see through it. You see fish, and you see stuff like that. Being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, will always be like those spectacles. It will polarise. There will be people who will be looking into the church like they are here. People are amazed. Why? Why do people gather at Stanford Green on a Sunday morning? Can I come and have a look? There's something different about you lot. Why do you behave in that way? Why are you standing up for Jesus at school? Why do you not swear? Why do you do this? Why don't you do that? Christianity will always polarise a community. You're fascinating to me. You're interesting to me. Can I share this burden with you because I think you might have something to help me? That's a positive slant of, tell me more about this person called Jesus. But sometimes you also will have people who are extremely upset with you. Can't believe you're saying that. Do you really believe that? can't believe you do that to that person. That means that for my loved one. The implications of the gospel. Christianity will always polarise. They had favour with all the people, verse 47. But then 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, all who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So Christianity polarises. It divides, just like a sword. The church will always go through kind of a duality of seasons. There will always be people that God is drawing to himself through the gospel. As the gospel is shared, God draws people to himself. But there will also be persecution and times of suffering simultaneously throughout the history of the church. The only way to avoid polarity is to not live for Jesus. And so if no one has asked you recently about the hope that you have in Christ. There are some hard questions that you need to ask before the Lord. Are, have you lost your saltiness, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Why are people not noticing that you are different? Ask yourself hard questions privately before the Lord. Because if there's not this polarity of people being drawn to the attractiveness of the gospel and at the same time being repelled by the cost of the gospel and the offensiveness of the gospel, you need to ask hard questions. Finally, worship. Verse 46 says, In the temple and in their homes they praise God. Verse 43 says, There is an awe in this community in the presence of God. So there's a duality again of intimacy and awe, of reverence and praise and joy and intimacy and closeness of relationship. Awe and intimacy in every genuine community where God is known and enjoyed. Now this is hard to explain and hard to understand. God is spirit, God is everywhere. But as he reveals himself to you, you can know him in a very real way individually, but even more so corporately. And as we thought about these five elements of Christian community and of the first prototypical church, Notice that all five must come together. It's not just you have one. We're an evangelistic church. No, we're, we're the truth church. And we look down on the evangelistic church who 
look down on us because they've got evangelism and not truth. It doesn't work like that. The true church has all five elements and must always have these five elements. In uh, chapter 2 of Pen the moment of Pentecost, God sent his spirit into every believer, which is unique. In the Old Testament, God's spirit was only in a few, prophet, priest and king and separate people for limited times for certain events. So if God wanted to appear, so to speak, if he wanted to meet with his people, there would always be an altar built, often of stone, sometimes of wood. And then the fire would come as the spirit of God would descend in a manifest way. Here we have a little altar, one in the New Testament. It's in verse 42. Three things that you should be devoted to on your altar. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. That's study. That's hard work. They were devoted to fellowship. That's communication and, and accountability to other believers. They were devoted to the breaking of bread and of prayer. That, that's a corporate gathering, whether that be uh, formalised in church or in a different setting as well. Without those priorities of an, an, an altar in every Christian's heart, as it were, the fire will not come. In the Old Testament, you built an altar. There would be a sacrifice and then the fire would come. The Spirit of God would reveal the reality and the presence and holiness of God. But in verse 42, you have a, a three-pronged tripod. Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and of prayer. So let me ask you, friends, as the gathered church, made up of individuals, these questions. Do you have someone this morning? Can you name them in your own mind? Do you have someone here or elsewhere with whom you are accountable? With whom you have a deep relationship so you're not talking about the weather? You talk about the weather and then you talk about serious stuff. What Daniel was talking about, you can't talk to people deeply, intimately. That's not always appropriate in church. Sometimes it is. But where do you have the deeper conversations and with whom? Do you have someone like that, anyone like that? Can it be said of you, this threefold altar in verse 42, can it be said of you that you're someone who's serious at your stage of life, with all the pressures that you face, you're serious about the Bible? You love listening to it. You want to meet with other people to understand it. There's so many resources like no other generation before us. Do you make use of them? Do you read old books and new books? Do you listen to old books being read and new books being explained? There's so many different resources. Are you someone who is accountable to other people? Are you someone who's devoted to the gospel? Are you a man or woman of prayer? I wish they wouldn't say that. Well, the Bible says that, so it's not me. Are you someone who's serious about prayer? Not when the wheels come off in your life. But are we a prayerful people? You see, the presence of God is not automatic. Say that carefully. You really want to know intimacy with God. There's access through Jesus Christ to the Father. But for real spiritually invived intimacy, there is a, a pattern in verse 42 that is devotion to the gospel, accountability, involvement in a community. You're serious about prayer and the breaking of bread of church life. But what if you're not a Christian? If you're not a Christian, then you can do exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost and following. Verse 38, you could repent. Jesus, you are my Lord and you are Christ. You're God's long-awaited king. You're king of the whole cosmos, which means you're king of my life. And that would equip you to stand before a holy God, even this morning, 
That's what the gospel is. The gospel is not primarily about forgiveness or good feelings or even power. They're byproducts of the gospel. The gospel primarily is about you enjoying the presence of God, made possible because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know something of that in your life? I pray that you might. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 